Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I have yet again found an incredible consultant and coach Uh, She has worn many hats, and I'm so glad that our paths have crossed, and I'm very excited to introduce you to an amazing woman. Katie Anderson is an author. She's a consultant. She's a coach. She's a mom. She's a wife. Like I said, she wears many, many hats, and she has had quite an interesting career as well as uh, an academic path. She has seen many different ends of the globe. And I'm just excited to welcome Katie to the show and talk to her about her trajectory and also her new book. So Katie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Deb. I'm really excited to talk with you here today. Well, I'm so glad that our our paths have crossed, and I know you have a new book coming out, which I want to talk to you about, but I want to start off with my first leadership question, and I wanted to know and let the listeners know, what led to your decision to transition from a leadership role into entrepreneurship in 2013? It's a great question. Uh, well, a few things were culminating together. Um, for me, I was something I'd always dreamed about, um, having my own, uh, or really being the master of my own uh, schedule and the work that I did. I loved working with people and helping them become their best selves. And I saw um, taking on uh, my own consulting practice would give me an opportunity to work with even a wider range of leaders and people um, instead of just one organization, which was very rewarding, fulfilling as well. I mean, I worked in healthcare for many, many years. Um, and, you know, from a, from a personal standpoint, too, it was great timing for me in my life. I was just pregnant with my second child, and I decided I really wanted to have more flexibility and control of my schedule. Um, what I've learned is that doesn't mean that I'm working part-time. I actually probably work more hours than I did when I uh, was in an internal role, but I have control over my schedule and I, I love it. Well, and I also love that you've, you have decades of experience in supporting change and improvement in organizations. Uh, I join you in that we have both really served in across range of industry from healthcare to manufacturing, academia, you've done government, biotech, business startups. And I noticed that one of your primary focuses is higher cognitive function. You love helping leaders plan and problem solve and and really work on that emotional regulation and self-motivation piece. 
How and yeah. why did you really have the love to have that modality into your coaching? What was it about the higher level cognitive that you enjoyed assessing and helping businesses with? You know, I think some of it goes back to just sort of who I innately am. I have always been drawn um, to deeper thinking, and uh, you know, I originally thought I was going to have a, I was going to explore a career in academia because I was really drawn to that process of deeper thinking. What it, uh, my academic research didn't fit for me was the I wasn't working with people directly as much, um, and I went through this exploration part of my own phase where I was in roles where I was assigned as sort of the expert problem solver or the continuous improvement coach. And I love to get in there and solve problems. And I had this transformative, I wouldn't say moment, because it was over a period of time of realizing that, yes, I could go in and solve problems, but it wasn't creating sustainability. And where I got the greatest joy was helping others think more deeply about the problems and things that they have ownership for and to become more effective at problem solving, more effective at leading their teams, and more effective about creating a sustainable learning culture in the areas that they led. Um, and so that's it's sort of that's sort of how it evolved for me. And, and going back to your first question as well, I think that was a real driving force for me um, in starting my consulting practice, so that I could work with people across a wide range of industries and at many different levels of organization. Uh, but the essence of what I do, as you said, is really focused on that, um, the deeper thinking and the people-centered leadership. And how do you marry those two? And I like to say it's about um, helping people connect with um, intention. So what's their purpose and what's really uh, important in their role or themselves as people? And then how are they really aligning their behaviors in that direction? Because so often we think we are um, doing the right thing in service of, you know, the bigger goal or our purpose, but actually our, our actions are not in alignment with that. So I, I help, help people really see that connection and then help improve together. And um, it just gives me great joy. Well, and you have just led so beautifully into my next question. So thank you. And I was yep. going to say that you you have a process, but the process is definitely leveraged with your purpose. And there is, again, a spiritual modality that you like to bring into your coaching and consulting. So share with the listeners, how did that transform? And when did you realize it was the right time to implement it with these organizations? Uh I ask a clarifying question. When you say implement it with the organizations, could you describe more what you, what sort of the intention behind that question is? So when you decided to implement some level of spirituality, when you talk about purpose and aligning with the companies and really looking at the people on a human level, how did your spirituality and your beliefs and your awareness, how did you transfer that into your assessment tools as a modality for helping individuals within organizations? Well, I, I think I, I, I've always been a very uh, human-centered person, and I have always led with the heart. Um, and I don't believe we have like a person at work and a person at home. You know, we are our whole selves. And so 
Um, one of the things I do, even in my, coach, in my coaching uh, these days, is with teams or as individuals, is I ask them to draw their purpose. I think so often we get disconnected from, we see ourselves as our role or our position, but rather what is our purpose and what's really driving us um, at a human level in uh, the work we do or, the, or who we are at home, and then help people sort of align sort of and understand how their actions are aligned or not aligned with that. Uh, and so it's really just about understanding what's important inside of us. Um, and, you know, it's, it can be many different things, and it can obviously varies for each different um, person. But it's really interesting when I ask groups of people to do this, there is some real commonality when people describe themselves and their purpose through drawing. It's about being connected with people. It's about helping others. There's usually something about family or friends or um, sort of sense of humanness. Um, and, and then sort of either outdoors or in a community aspect as well. And what I think is really interesting is that we really forget that sense of humanness and connection when we are in a work environment. But if we can really bring it back to we're all ultimately, for the most part, I think we all show up in a work environment or at home, you know, really looking for connection and to help other people uh, get better. And when we can connect on that, then we can achieve so much more. Oh, I fully agree with you. And I, I was intrigued uh, on your website that you have all of this so eloquently stated, your process, your purpose. And I also noticed that you implemented into your practice the Daruma doll. And I was wondering if you would share that with the listeners and how you first learned about this Zen tradition. And again, how you decided to bring it into your practice. Yeah, great. Well, uh, just over five years ago, my family had the incredible opportunity to move to Japan um, for my husband's job, actually. But as uh, I was personally super excited um, on a professional level as well as a personal one, I the the type of leadership and process improvement work I had have been doing for a long time is grounded in the Toyota production system. So I was really excited to go to Japan. And my children were quite young at the time. Well, they still are young, but my, my eldest was in preschool at the time. And we, he was in preschool. That was the, the origin of how I found out about these dolls called Daruma dolls. And in his classroom, they had these, uh, these round-ish red dolls with varying sizes. And I, and I learned about them. And I've now become quite obsessed. I have a personal collection of, oh, I don't know, 40 different types of dolls. And I regularly import the mini ones. And Daruma dolls are a representation in Japan of having goals and purpose. And when you have a goal or an intention of something you want to achieve, you, the, the doll has sort of like a, it's a paper mache sort of roundish head-like head figure that's sort of, I call it ugly cute. You fill in the doll's left eye, and that's a sign of your intention for fulfilling a goal. And then it sits there as a visual reminder and representation of that goal and helps um, give a sense of perseverance because the doll is weighted at the bottom. So if it's knocked over, it will right itself back up. And there's another Japanese uh, saying, fall down seven times, get up eight. And so the Daruma doll represents that concept as well, that it's important to have goals, and we also it's important to recognize we are going to have failures and mistakes and setbacks. But what's important is about how do we get up, learn, and keep moving forward in service of that goal. And then when you do achieve your goal, 
um, you get to fill in the doll's right eye. And so I actually brought, I have a uh, Daruma doll from my book, and later this week I'm going to get to fill in the Daruma doll's right eye. I am so excited um, to have the book come out soon. So I have, I give out Daruma dolls as gifts to people because of its connection between, with leadership and, and, and humanness. And how do we all set goals for ourselves as leaders and people and then work towards achieving them? Well, I think it's a wonderful symbol and I'm a yoga teacher and it's just, you've just taught me something today. And I love the Zen tradition, but I also love the leadership aspect about setting goals and, and having that visual cue right there on your desk. And yes. I want to talk to you about your book. So great segue. So how did you meet Isao Yoshino in Japan and share with us uh, the journey and trajectory and how the development of your new book, which is coming out this week, how it all came about? Yeah, well, it all tied back to this amazing experience that we had in Japan. It was just serendipity and it's been a, such a pivotal experience in my lifetime. So the book's title is Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn, Lessons from Toyota Leader Isao Yoshino on a Lifetime of Continuous Learning. And it was total serendipity, as I mentioned, that I happened to meet Mr. Yoshino about six months before our family moved to Japan. It was just weeks after we found out about the opportunity. And he and I were both at a conference and he was on stage and speaking with a, a man named John Shook about who was the first American or the first non-Japanese employee at Toyota Motor Corporation in Japan in the 1980s as uh, Toyota was seeking to start foreign production. And they're up on stage talking about their role as uh, sort of a boss and what they, the term they use at Toyota is subordinate, it's not uh, so a, a manager and a one down and about their experience. And I just was so taken by Mr. Yoshino's um, leading with his heart-centered leadership and also just he was so wise and I met him at that conference and he gave me his business card and said when you move to Japan uh, let me know and we'll get together and you can come I'll come, you know, come to Toyota City and I will I will take you to Toyota for a tour and we can spend some time together so I was I was giddy actually and I, at that point I knew 100% that this time in Japan was going to be amazing well, fast forward, uh, many months later, we meet up in April of 2015, and what I thought was going to be a one-day, once-in-a-lifetime experience turned into a deep, a deep rich friendship, um, and I would go on the bullet train many times uh, during the, my time that I was in Japan and visit with him. I started writing a blog at the time and was writing about, he gave me permission to write about our, our conversations, and he just had a richness of experience after. 40 years of working at Toyota in, in many sort of organizational development and training types of roles, uh, supporting key initiatives for Toyota as it was really creating its now famous culture of continuous improvement and uh, people-centered leadership. And I just learned so much with him and from him and uh, our relationship has, has deepened over the years we've partnered around the world doing workshops together and about two years ago we started uh with purposeful intention to do interviews to put together a book of course i didn't have any idea what a huge undertaking this was going to be um and i really um, with his collaboration pulled together uh with sort of a combination of leadership memoir and um 
Toyota in history and just reflections on what it means to be a people-centered leader and what it means to develop a culture of learning. And it's told through his real stories and then our shared reflections um, through conversation. So I feel really honored to be able to bring these stories that I've learned so much from to a global audience. Well, what a tremendous experience for you. And, and I love when serendipitous moments like that happen. And what was kind of the best learning outcome that you didn't think, or, or I guess would, I'm not sure how to frame this. What was, I guess, the biggest surprise that came out of writing that book that you didn't anticipate? I'll, I'll say there are two things. There's one sort of on a more personal level, which is just the, the, the richness of our friendship. I mean, we talk weekly and um, so that partnership and just uh, the, how the process of working together and partnering really just created a, a, such a special relationship in both of our lives. And then from a, a, sort of a learning perspective, uh, there were some real experiences around the process of reflection and the power of reflection for both learning from uh, like one oneself can have as an individual, but then the process of reflecting as uh, together um, in partnership. And I think this is really related to coaching as well, and how the value of working working with others can help us learn more deeply, even about our own experiences in our own lives. Um, and that reflection can be, you know, it's about looking backwards so that we can create wisdom and make different choices or create a better future and how um, really that partnership can be so helpful and how Toyota as a company has a real deep rich practice of, um, in the Japanese term of Hansei, uh, of, of reflection and learning. And Mr. Yoshino says that the only secret to Toyota is its attitude towards learning. And that really is grounded in its uh, attitude and uh, practice um, at a cultural level, and this goes down to each individual, for reflection and, and, and learning from uh, experiences. Well, what a, so what was, a, what a yeah. beautiful experience for you and your family. And we will put all the details uh, about your book coming out this week uh, on the episode description. And what did you land up naming the book? And was that a joint effort between you and Isao, or did it just come organically, or how did that come about? So the naming of the book, uh, that, that came from me, but the, it, it was so grounded and rooted in our conversations. Um, and it really, I think I'd heard, you know, I heard the phrase before about learning to lead. and uh, that's so much about his experience in the early days about how do you learn to lead. But then I thought it's also about leading to create this learning learning uh, organization, learn, uh, leading to help other people learn. And I like the sort of how it reflected the learning and the leading. And um, also the Toyota production system is known in the West as lean, and it sort of all sort of flowed together. Um, so learning to lead, leading to learn, and then a lesson from Toyota leader, Asao Yoshino, and a lifetime of continuous learning. Uh, so I'm the author, and he's the subject, but we've been really uh, partnered and collaborative um, through this whole, this whole experience together. So it's been, it's been fantastic, and it releases uh, the, this week when, you, when people will be hearing the podcast, so I'm, I'm thrilled. 
Well, I'm thrilled for you and what, what an exciting opportunity and just something that you're going to have to reflect back on for the rest of your life. So just very, very excited for you. And I like to end the podcast with what I, what I call the Fab Four, just four fun questions for you. The first one is, what makes you happy? Oh, what makes me happy is really um, connection with people around the world uh, and, and being connected and staying connected. Oh, I love that. It's certainly indicative of your personality. And my, yeah, and my I would, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say I've lived in so many countries around the world and, uh, uh, and maintaining those friendships, even though great distance has always been really, uh, really important to me. Well, I've always said that connection with people is, is number one. And I, I think everything that we do, whether it's personal or professional stems from that. So couldn't agree with you more. My second question is, if I gave you a time capsule for this year and I asked you to put items in it to reflect 2020 before you bury it, what would you put inside? <laughs> I laugh only because what a year we've already had in 2020. Um, I, and, and, and you know, I, I'm just thinking about the plans Plans that we started the year off in, with and, and have had to, to pivot on. Um, I certainly would put the Daruma doll that I would be filling the eye in. This book has been such a big endeavor, and so the uh, really felt the celebration of uh, a goal completed despite uh, setbacks along the way would be in there. Um, you know, I, it's hard for me to think. I've been spending so much time in my home because of the pandemic, and um, I had many intentions to be uh, leading trips in Japan and other places. So, um, you know, that's a hard question for me to think about right now, about what, what else would be in there that would reflect this time. It's actually, it's kind of a, I'm getting, I feel like I'm getting emotional thinking about what would I, um, what I, what I put in there to reflect on. I probably put in some of my, um, I found my childhood books, two series, the Wizard of Oz series and the um, Little House series, and I've been reading them to my children. And I actually, we've been, we've been gone through the Oz series and we're halfway through the Little House series. And it's been, and my children are now nine and six, and I would put them in there to save them and maintain them so that their children, uh, could have them as well and continue this tradition of learning and togetherness that we've had through this pandemic. Well, that's lovely. And I had the Little House series. So there you go. That's a great book yeah. series. I loved it. I know. I know it's great. All my, my books say like Katie, uh, well, my last name was before I was married, Katie Brian Jones, you know, 1982. <laughs> yeah. so so oh, that's lovely. So if you reflect back on your life, and you could pick one memory, what would your best memory be and why? Oh man, that's, uh, that's super hard. Uh, you know, the, the life, lifetime, but you know, I just celebrated my wedding anniversary and my dad passed away three and a half years ago. And so there's a, an image that's standing out of my dad dancing with me at my wedding. And so I think it would be my, my wedding day and the culmination. I mean, there's so many other amazing memories of the children being born and <laughs> so many other things too. 
but uh, that it's really the, the celebration and having my, both of my parents walk me down the aisle and then joining my life um, with this, this wonderful uh, person and then um, and being surrounded by our family and our friends and sort of the, the launching pad for uh, the future of my life and also memories of um, people who are no longer with us, but uh, in, in person that are with us in spirit. Oh, that's lovely. And it's hard. I know it's hard to pick one. So my last question is, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? <laughs> for a world traveler, that is a very challenging question. I've lived in the U.S., Australia, U.K., Spain, Dominican Republic, and Japan. Uh, so I have a hard time choosing just one place. Um, oh, that, I think, well, I will say I will choose my home base. To be where just where it is. Um, I love I, in the same Northern California and the San Francisco Bay Area, close to where I grew up. Uh, I love the community that we're in uh, and its access to outdoors. And I love it as our home base. And then I would and for and like when we moved to Japan, we knew we were coming back to that community, and it was such an anchor point, knowing that we could go explore, explore the explore the world. And even if we stayed, we, we returned only after a year and a half because of my dad's illness. Um, but even if we'd gone for more years, we knew we'd come back, and it was our real anchor point in the world. And so I would choose home, uh, and then I would continue to go travel and do other things in other places as well. But knowing that home is home is where the heart is. Well, that's beautiful. And I want to congratulate you again on your book, because I know you started writing it as a blog, and with the intent to share your learnings and develop this beautiful friendship. So congratulations. I wish you all the best Thanks. with your book launch and getting to fill in the other eye on the Daruma doll and uh, really look forward to uh, furthering our connection and keeping in touch. And thank you for spending time with me today on the Imperfect Podcast. Thank you, Deb. It's been a pleasure. I love your questions. Uh, they've been very provocative. Well, I did tell you I did my homework and I was going to have some fun. So I think we, I think we did have yeah. fun. We did have fun. Oh, and uh, if people want to get in touch with me, uh, I know you're going to put it on the, the information, but my website is kbjanderson.com. And there's info about the book there too. But, um, have, you can get some photos of Daruma dolls and learn about more of the history and the Daruma temple in Japan. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks so much for sharing. So I always end my podcast with five principles that I think is a good way to live an enriched life. And that is to follow your heart, have passion, do your best, know your truth, and always be in love with the journey. This is Deb Crow. Thank you so much for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast.